1: Sometimes it's challenging to connect with friends and family who aren't native English speakers. So learn their language with the most trusted language learning program, Rosetta Stone. Their efficient, immersive lessons are used and beloved by millions. The true accent feature even provides feedback on your pronunciation. Learn on the go with convenient, flexible, and customizable lessons as short as 10 minutes. For a very limited time, our listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at
0: rosettastone.com slash crimejunkie. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Britt. Every now and then, there are crime stories that really stick with you. And sometimes it's because the victim reminds you of someone you know, like a parent or grandparent, But other times it's because the specific details of the crimes are so horrific that you can't stop thinking about what the victim's last moments must have been like. Today's episode focuses on a story that contains both of these. Victims that remind me of my own grandparents. And a crime so gruesome that it keeps me up at night. This is the story of the Lake Oconee murders. Russell and Shirley Durman were an elderly couple that lived along scenic Lake Oconee in the middle of Putnam County, Georgia. Now, this is about an hour east of Atlanta and is a pretty affluent area. The Durmans were enjoying basically a cozy post-retirement lifestyle in their four-bedroom home that was valued around a million dollars. The two were both originally from New Jersey, and they'd been married for over 60 years. Russell had actually served in the U.S. Navy during World War II, but following his return stateside, he'd become an executive for a clock manufacturer. Shirley, meanwhile, took the role of housewife and took charge raising their four kids, but in the late 1980s, they relocated their family to Georgia for Russell's, you know, quote, semi-retirement.
1: What's semi-retirement? Because that— kind of sounds awesome
0: <laughs> sign me up <laughs> apparently russell was tired of basically the daily grind and he wanted to move to a more like casual line of work so in the 1980s they moved to georgia this like city on the northern outskirts of atlanta and russell began managing a chain of hardy's fast food restaurants and a couple of their kids actually helped manage the restaurants and slowly like russell began to like take more of a back seat he backed up further and further and further until he was like in retirement which is exactly what he wanted in 1999, the two had started making plans to move to a gated community nearby an expensive golf course next to Lake Oconee. Russell loved playing golf, so it seemed like a matchmate in heaven. As they're planning this move, the family is struck by tragedy. Their oldest son, Mark, was killed while trying to purchase drugs near Atlanta. Now, his killer was found and convicted, but I think that kind of expedited their move away from the big city because that same year, again, he got murdered in 2000, they made that move. Their home was a decent-sized lakeside estate, which had its own private dock, was surrounded by trees, and located in this very safe, gated community, allowing the two—like I said, this is cozy, private retirement Mm -hmm. filled with long walks and reading and crossword puzzles. Over the 14 years that they spent there, they had become embedded in the community. They were— you know, relatively private people, but they regularly attended church. They had their little group of friends that they hung out with. I like to imagine they loved playing cards, mostly because I love playing cards. <laughs> and it's all I want to do when I get old. But they loved their home so much, in fact, that they told their children that when they passed, they wanted their ashes spread on Lake Oconee. But no one expected that time to come so abruptly and under such bizarre circumstances. Saturday, May 3rd, 2014, was the date of the 140th Kentucky Derby, which is a major horse racing event. And Russell and Shirley were supposed to attend a neighbor's Kentucky Derby watch party, but the two were no-shows, which was very unlike them. Like normally they would have called or even like somehow apologized after for not showing up. But, you know, the friends know that life happens. You know, it happens all the time. So no alarm bells were raised by their friends right away. However, when the entire day passed... And then Sunday rolled around and their friends still hadn't heard anything from them about why they missed the party. They start to try to call them, a couple of times actually, but they were never able to make contact with the couple. So Monday comes and then goes. And then finally, that Tuesday, May 6th, their friends decide to just go over to their house, which was kind of, again, hidden in the back of that cul-de-sac. As they approach the house, they notice something strange in the driveway. There was today's paper, but also Monday's paper as well. The concern for the couple is growing as they make their way up the drive to the front door. And they knock a couple of times. Shirley, Russell, but they're getting no response. When they reach for the handle and find that the door is unlocked, they decide to go inside. They begin searching the home, looking for any sign of either Shirley or Russell. But when there was no sign of either one of them anywhere, they make their way out to the garage. And that is where they made a discovery that would horrify them. And fair warning, you guys, I really don't like going into super gory details of Mm. crime cases. But in this case, these details are absolutely necessary to understand the circumstances of the crime and what kind of perpetrator that we're looking for. Now, Russell and Shirley's two vehicles were still parked in the garage, but laying on the floor of the garage was a body. Now, the neighbors believed it was the body of Russell, but they couldn't be sure. And that's because whoever it was had been decapitated, and the head was nowhere at the scene. They didn't look any further. The two fled the house and just moments later placed a call to 911. And so began one of the most terrifying and mysterious investigations that any of these officers would be part of. Police quickly identified the murder victim as 88-year-old Russell Dermond, who had been decapitated and whose head was just gone. And as if that were not concerning enough, just like Russell's head, his 87-year-old wife, Shirley... Was gone as well, and police could find no trace of either. This heinous murder immediately alarmed investigators who had never witnessed a crime of this magnitude in the quiet community before. They quickly set out to uncover what exactly had happened, but it was hard because there wasn't much in the way of evidence. What they could determine was that Russell had been decapitated in the spot where his body was found, in the middle of the garage between the couple's two cars. Now he had been found lying on his back in a pool of his own blood, which had begun to dry up around him. Police later disclosed that whoever had committed this decapitation act had strategically placed towels around the body to prevent the blood from spilling out underneath the garage door and down the driveway. And I think that was probably so that they could delay when the bodies would be found. Mm -hmm. Now, let me clarify something because I said he was decapitated there. However, that does not mean he was murdered there. But we're going to get back to that in just a little bit. When they searched the house, it didn't provide much in the way of evidence. There didn't seem to be any sign of forced entry. And really, there wasn't any sign of motive either. Was, like, anything valuable missing? So weirdly enough, it doesn't seem like anything was missing from their home. And they weren't known to keep anything in their home worth taking anyways. Like, they didn't keep large amounts of cash or jewelry. And in fact, not only... Was there nothing there with taking, but the house itself seemed to be untouched and nearly spotless. And that's the word the police use all the time. The house was spotless. And I think one person was even quoted as saying like, you could have eaten off the floor. So it was pristine and untouched. Investigators begin trying to piece together the five W's of any crime investigation. The who, what, where, when, and of course, the all important why. Because the why will usually lead you to everything else. But as they tried to figure out the minute details of this case, detectives also began working with local police on the real pressing issue. Where was Shirley? Her purse and her phone were both left inside the home, so whoever had taken her didn't seem to have taken any of her things. Police launched an extensive search in the surrounding area, combing the land, the lakes, they're using dogs, big search equipment, looking for any sign, and again, they're looking for both Shirley and Russell's head. All the while, friends and family and authorities were praying to find Shirley alive. Almost right away, billboards were secured all throughout the state with Shirley's picture on it, many of them reading missing and in danger or foul play suspected, and a number was given for the public to call police if they knew anything. They were operating under the belief that Shirley had been kidnapped, but it would be several days before her true fate was finally learned. It's such a nice perk to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places. But working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anyone else. And that's been great for me especially because these last few months, I've been doing a lot of on-the-ground reporting with our team from northern Wisconsin to Utah to the middle of nowhere Indiana. No matter where I go, I'm able to stream, make calls, or get those case-altering DMs from sources, which that's my favorite part. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Find out more at tmobilecom network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at TMobile.com.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're anything like me, when you have something weighing on your mind that's taking up time and energy the best thing you can do is to talk about it. But sometimes that's also one of the hardest things to do too. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Crime Junkie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Crime Junkie.
0: On Friday, May 16th, 10 days after the discovery of Russell's remains, fishermen discovered a body floating face down in the lake. It was later determined to be Shirley, who had bloated to nearly twice her original size due to the time spent in the water. And this led police to believe that she'd been out there for some time, if not the entire time since Russell had been murdered. The discovery took place only about five miles away from the couple's lakeside property.
1: But why didn't they find her right away? I I thought you said that they had searched the lakes.
0: So they did, but Shirley's body had been weighed down with concrete blocks, which had been tied to her ankles with ropes. Whoever had killed her had pulled her out to one of the deepest parts of the entire lake, with her body being submerged under nearly 50 feet of water before eventually surfacing. Unlike her husband, Shirley had not been decapitated, but she appeared to have died from a head injury. Her autopsy would later reveal that she had been struck multiple times in the head with an object that resembled a claw hammer. And thankfully, there were no signs of sexual assault having taken place. In the following days, police would conduct extensive searches in the area where Shirley's body was found, hoping to find either a murder weapon or even her husband's head. Again, if Shirley's here, they kind of assumed that they would find that too. Right. Unfortunately they were unsuccessful in finding either his head or the murder weapon. The investigation itself was headed by Putnam County Sheriff's Office, who early on obtained assistance from their local police departments as well as the FBI. They were able to gain access to the Dermans' personal information, including, like, you know, phone records, bank records, Mm -hmm. all of the if-I-go-missing stuff, dating back (laughs) years. And they were hopeful that there might be some clue in there that would lead them to a culprit. Like, surely they were going to be connected to something or someone who was awful for such a savage attack to have been perpetrated on them. But unfortunately, there seemed to have not been a single smoking gun, like nothing that even smelled fishy, And there was nothing in either Shirley or Russell's life that was pointing to anyone who would want to do this to them. Investigators set out to create a timeline for when the events might have taken place. And they kind of started to work backwards in their lives. Now, they found out that in the days leading up to their deaths, it was pretty boring, very usual, filled with errands and walks and visits with friends. The last time police can confirm that the two were absolutely alive was Friday, May 2nd. Russell was spotted by a neighbor taking a walk in the neighborhood, which he did very regularly, and surely had finished a crossword puzzle from that day's newspaper. But their trail ends there. Nobody had any confirmed sightings or conversations with the Dermans after that Friday, meaning that their killer could have struck virtually any time that weekend. Their neighbors didn't report hearing any commotion next door, like at all, so police basically had to guess when the killer had decided to strike. Now, their best estimate was that this killer likely struck early the next day, Saturday, May 3rd, which was the same day as the Kentucky Derby party that they had missed. Right. They came to this belief because the mail in their mailbox dated back to Saturday. And they think it was very early because Shirley's body, when she was found, she was in her normal, like, everyday clothes, dressed like she might even be going somewhere or just, like, ready for the day. But Russell's body was found wearing his pajamas. Okay,
1: I have a bit of a random question. You said that was a gated
0: community, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Were there any security cameras?
0: So actually, yes, there were. The gated community that Russell and Shirley lived in did have security cameras at the entrance, which recorded each person that was driving in. I mean, that seems like a logical place to start when you're looking for who could have done this, right? Right. It does. But... How many times have we seen this? No.
1: It got recorded over.
0: Well, not even that. Police learned almost immediately that these cameras were not working at the time. Ugh. They apparently had shorted out a few weeks prior due to a storm that hit the region. And this was only discovered after the body was found and they wanted the tape. So no one even knew. Yeah. It wasn't even a problem that anyone was aware of until it was too late. Like if anyone had been checking up on this, we might have something.
1: So during this time, literally anybody could have driven through the neighborhood and not been recorded or spotted, Oh, absolutely.
0: But even if the cameras were working, I'm not sure that they would have helped in this case because police believe that whoever killed the couple likely didn't drive into the neighborhood. In fact, they might have come from the exact opposite direction because police believe that they approached the house from the lake. Lake Oconee is an incredibly large lake with a surface area of like 19,000 acres, which stretch across four counties. And the shoreline itself spans a length of nearly 400 miles, meaning that searches of the area required a lot of manpower and a lot of time. But this isn't like some tiny private lake. Anyone can have access to it. Mm -hmm. Now, the couple's estate had a private dock with a walkway that led up to the house itself. So it's possible that the killer had approached the house from the water using a boat and then entered the house through the back. And if so, no one would have seen them. Because, again, remember, Russell and Shirley's home was pretty secluded in that far corner of the cul-de-sac. Yeah. Now, this theory is just compounded when you think about where Shirley was found in the middle of that lake. Because, you see, the Dermans didn't own a boat at the time of the murders.
1: So the killer would have had to bring their own boat to dispose of Shirley.
0: Exactly. It would have been nearly impossible to move her body where it was found without a boat. And while we're talking about Shirley and where she was found, like let's jump back to the crime scene and talk about where and how she was killed because it's not quite as straightforward as you might think. I mentioned that Shirley had died from blunt force trauma and that her killer had used an instrument that was similar to a hammer. And again, we know this because of injuries found on her body after it was discovered. But again, if you remember, there was nothing at the crime scene to indicate this. If you were going to take a hammer to someone's skull, you would expect to see some very large blood spatter stains wherever the crime took place. But there wasn't a scene like this in the house anywhere. Aside from Russell's blood in the garage, the rest of the property, like I said, was spotless. Nothing in the house indicating that there were two brutal murders. So we're missing a huge piece of this puzzle, a huge W. We're missing the where.
1: Okay, so this means that
0: the two were taken
1: out of the home, killed, and then they brought Russell back to the house and decapitated him in the garage? Yeah. This is literally one of the most insane crime scenes I
0: think I've ever heard of. Oh my God, I I know, again, this is the one that, like, it keeps staying with me, keeps me up at night. Uh
1: Okay, so if Russell was decapitated after his death, how did they determine his cause of death? Were there any other wounds on the body?
0: So no, not from what I can tell. They knew for sure, based on his autopsy, that he was already deceased before the decapitation. Okay. But because they didn't have any marks on his body, the assumption was something likely happened to his head, which they couldn't find.
1: So is the assumption that he died the same way Shirley did with The blunt force trauma
0: to the head? No, actually. Russell's shirt gave them a little clue about his death. Apparently, there was gunpowder residue found on just the collar. So the assumption is that he was shot. And another thing to note, which doesn't give us any real clues, but maybe tells us a little more about the who... The cut to Russell's neck was incredibly clean, not necessarily surgical, mind you, just very neat, Mm -hmm. as if the killer had really taken their time to do this heinous, horrible thing. And they hadn't been rushed at all. And whoever did this likely used the collar of Russell's T-shirt as a guide, and they used an incredibly sharp knife. Okay, but I don't get it. If Russell was shot in the head, why would the killer then spend all this meticulous time decapitating him so that's probably the biggest question plaguing this case the only thing i can think of is that perhaps when they shot russell the bullet got lodged in his head and the killer feared that somehow maybe the bullet could be traced back to them
1: yeah and you talked about all the w questions earlier and honestly more than who or why My question is where?
0: And that's something that police have had to grapple with in this case. The where could tell them who if they could find it, but they couldn't. So again, what I keep coming back to and what I think solving this case is dependent on is the why. Like I said earlier, robbery wasn't the motive because nothing was taken. And if someone did want money, it didn't make sense to target Russell and Shirley. Like, their net worth was around $1.5 million. And don't get me wrong, that is a lot, but that included their home, which was more than half of that. So compared to many of their neighbors in this super affluent neighborhood, some of them were like famous musicians and retired executives who were worth much, much more. Like, what they had wasn't enough to, like, kill them over. Again, like right. wh- if this is truly a random act, why wouldn't you go pick one of the more wealthy people in the neighborhood who even had, like, fancier, bigger houses, you would assume that they have more money.
1: Okay, can we go back to the crime scene real quick? Yeah. I get that there was no blood, but the killer had to have been in the home. Did they find any kind of forensic evidence there?
0: You know, the law enforcement officials have been pretty mum about all of that, but it doesn't seem so. They've definitely stated that no unexplained fingerprints were found inside the house, but they've stated repeatedly that the crime scene was spotless. Again, that's the word they use, spotless. So if I had to guess, I'd say no, but it's interesting that you bring that up because the sheriff overseeing the case in Putnam County is like very old school. He's this like grizzled sheriff with a mustache who's photographed smoking cigars all the time. (laughs) And he's the one that's been overseeing the case from the beginning. And I think he might have something up his sleeve. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. Hi everyone, Ashley Flowers here, and if you can't get enough true crime, I've got just the thing for you. I've curated the first ever 24-7 true crime channel on Sirius XM. It's called Crime Junkie Radio, and it is the ultimate destination for all things true crime, including over six years of Crime Junkie episodes and other AudioChuck shows. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to right now, you'll love this channel. Download the SiriusXM app to listen to Crime Junkie Radio today. This sheriff has mentioned once or twice over the years having some kind of forensic evidence which he wants to get retested. What kind of evidence? Unfortunately, unfortunately. I have no clue. All the articles ever say is, quote, forensic evidence. And that's it. The sheriff has tried really hard not to tip his hand toward anything specific. And it's really a double-edged sword. Like in any crime investigation, police want to reveal enough information that will help them find the suspect. But as we know, at the same time, they don't want to reveal so much that the case would fall apart during prosecution. So he's been pretty tight-lipped about this specific detail regarding any evidence. But honestly... Like, it doesn't, to me, seem like the police have much.
1: You know, Ashley, this reminds me a lot of the Andrea DeGelder case that we just did for the fan club.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And the biggest hang-up in finding justice there is the GBI just not testing. Right, so I, um, for everyone not in the fan club, in that case, they think they, like, know who, they think they have all their Ws, but they really want to go to prosecution with this evidence, and they had a ton of forensic evidence, they said. But there's such a backlog that... They've been waiting for like a year to get things tested. So we're talking about the same state. If they're using the same crime lab, maybe there is forensic evidence, but we're just like on some kind of backlog again. Or maybe this is like a tactic that they're trying to scare this unknown person and they they don't have anything. I I don't know. Right. Right. But here's one more thing the sheriff has mentioned in the past releases to the press and public. Roughly one year after the murders, he told reporters that police had been told about a man that was spotted on the Derman property. Specifically, this guy was seen walking on Russell and Shirley's lawn at around the time that the murders took place. However... He would not identify who this man was, only stating that a witness had seen him but provided no more information. Him? Yeah. Yeah, him.
1: So, like, someone specific?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be because, I, you know, if it was just, like, some figure, unknown male is, like, used a lot. I kept seeing him used. Maybe, maybe it is unknown and they just know that it's male. But when you bring that up, it kind of brings up something interesting. From what I could find, I don't think they ever, like, made a sketch, which you would think they would do if they were trying to identify someone unknown. Right. So maybe they have someone specific in mind, which means it would have been someone that the neighbors had seen before or who were already familiar with. Like, if they recognized him, were calling him him, uh-huh. if the neighbors knew him, I mean, I have to wonder then if Russell and Shirley knew him. But again the sheriff has been so cryptic about all of it that I don't know if our assumptions are right or maybe they didn't even have enough to make a sketch like it was just a figure of a man it was so dark and and we're reading way too much into it I don't know you know I will tip my hands a little bit though I think they knew who they were looking for because in 2015 Sheriff Sills told reporters that he had a person of interest in the case which as we know isn't necessarily a suspect however this person of interest had apparently given him and his investigators false information, which they knew at the time to be false. So they know this person's lying to them. And why lie if you have nothing to hide? He hasn't spoken publicly about this person of interest or the man seen on the property around the time of the murders. And there really hasn't even been any clarification on whether or not those are even two people or the same person. But it's believed that both of these people, or this singular person, are still tied to active lines of inquiry, which police continue to investigate to this day. Because there's so much information about this case that isn't known, a large part of the media reporting has been focused on specific theories— In the immediate aftermath of this crime, some people in the media began to theorize that this double murder might be connected to the murder of their oldest son, Mark, who, if you recall from earlier in the story, had been killed in a drug-related incident back in 2000. In that case, though, the killer had been identified, he'd been convicted, and he remains in prison to this day. And so he was in prison when all of this took place. Also, it's worth pointing out that at the time of Mark's death, he wasn't particularly close with his parents. Like, they had had kind of a falling out after he'd fallen into this spiral of drug abuse and he kind of alienated his family and friends, which you often see in drug abuse cases. So mm-hmm. if someone wanted to like punish Mark 14 years after his death, choosing to go after his parents seems like a really odd choice. Yeah. Unfortunately, or you know, maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Russell and Shirley Derman had no similar instance in their past for investigators to point to that would make them a target for something like this. As far as police were aware... This couple was just about as normal as you could get, and they didn't really have any skeletons in their closet. Family members and friends were explored as possible culprits, thinking like, you know, maybe someone was after an inheritance or something. But it seemed like all of their family members, in particular their three surviving children, were quickly eliminated as suspects. All of them lived either out of state or like outside of the immediate region, and they all had airtight alibis for the period of time that these crimes took place. Police have done their best to make it clear that the family members are not persons of interest in their investigation, and they've even said that all three children have taken polygraph tests administered by the FBI. If any of them were trying to get their inheritance early, like, investigators have found absolutely no hint of it.
1: Okay, and I'd like to point out that if inheritance had been the motive, then the crime doesn't even make sense. Why would they kill Russell and then attempt to hide Shirley's body in the lake if they wanted to inherit the wealth, right? Like, if she's missing, that doesn't help them.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but it's so true. And eventually, like, obviously they did end up finding Shirley, and the inheritance ended up getting split between three of them. So none of the kids, like, inherited any really large amount anyways. Nothing you would think someone would kill their parents over right so the other like plausible theory that's going around is that this might have been the work of a hitman okay but why yeah it doesn't make sense and the way their bodies were disposed of doesn't seem right to me either like two separate ways both killed differently both disposed of differently like i don't know i'm literally just going off of what i know from movies and news articles but it feels off right
1: yeah i was gonna say even the fact that they weren't killed in the home but one was brought back doesn't make sense. Like, again, this seems like a very meticulous and illogical way for a hitman to come in. Right. The only thing that kind of lines up to it for me being a hitman, like, is the fact that there was nothing. It was so immaculate. Yeah,
0: I think that's what the reason everyone associates with this. But just being clean at the scene doesn't mean anything. Because kind of like you said before, what police have pointed out all the time was that there were so many ways in which this crime was very sloppy. Like, it seemed almost as if it were planned on the fly. So police really don't think a hitman is our who. Now, they do have a main theory, though, that the investigators have worked with. And that's the idea that this double murder was carried out by more than one person who likely acted in tandem while carrying out some other crime. So investigators believe that extortion might have been the killer's original plan, perhaps hoping to abduct Shirley and hold her for ransom while keeping Russell back at the couple's home to ensure that, you know, everything went according to plan. Or maybe they killed Russell in front of Shirley in order to intimidate her to get her to cooperate, but she didn't and everything went wrong. But it's the belief from everything I can find that something like this happened and somewhere along the lines, whatever the plan was, fell apart, leading ultimately to the deaths of Russell and Shirley or both at the same time. We don't know. Without any more solid information, that theory is kind of really hard to parse through. But it's the working theory that investigators believe is most likely, especially since the alternatives are even more terrifying and outlandish. Like, our only other option is maybe this killer didn't have a motive and just acted out of pure malice and murdered Russell and Shirley for the sake of murder itself.
1: That theory scares the crap out of me. And it... Kind of seems like the most likely. Really? We covered the Israel Keys story a little while ago, and I could almost see this killer being like oh, him. I mean oh God, this yeah. crime seems so random and gruesome.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I mean again, I don't think he's being considered in this case at all, but I fully believe that he's not the only one of his kind. So Oh yeah. I guess that's totally possible. I just I, I again I hate to believe that something like that is real. Yeah, and I mean it's a possibility, but I still feel like it's got to be someone they knew. Yeah, I, I keep coming back there as well. Again, kind of because of like the hymn stuff that people were saying. And again, I might be reading into something that's like totally obscure.
1: Well, and something I was thinking about was you said that Shirley was found in an area of the lake that was like the deepest part, right? Yeah, right. You have
0: to know that about the lake to drop her there, right? Oh, I guess like... Like some familiarity? Uh, so I don't I don't know enough about the lake to know if like there are multiple places where it's 50 feet. I don't know how big this area is. Like, because uh, say it's not the entire lake, like if it's pretty remote, what are the odds that you put her in the deepest part to make sure she isn't found right away?
1: Right. It just seems like it was planned to put her there, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, the neighbors of Russell and Shirley have been pretty quiet in their speculation about the crime, refusing to talk to reporters recently and just kind of trying to forget it ever happened. And honestly, I can't say that I fully blame him. This case remains open and unsolved to this day, with police not so much as even having a lead on a suspect or a potential motive that they've released to the public. Apparently, they've reportedly received tips ranging from... Like the believable to the very bizarre, with at least one tipster believing that the killer belonged to a terrorist organization like Al-Qaeda or ISIS. Okay. Others believe that an evil religious cult was involved. I mean, there was even one tipster that called police to let them know that an alligator had attacked Russell in the garage and later dragged Shirley out to the lake. Okay, sure. The more likely possibilities are so terrifying that I can't blame people for coming up with these kind of crazy theories. This was either someone with a personal grudge against Russell and Shirley, someone that was willing to brutally harm them for personal gain, or a wandering serial killer whose motives have never been uncovered. Anything other than those theories doesn't really make sense to me, and it doesn't fit with what we know about this Brutal, terrible crime. Because what we do know about this mysterious killer is that they killed Shirley with a hammer like instrument, then disposed of her body in the middle of the lake, again, in the deepest part. Then they decapitated Russell with a sharp knife and left his head in some unknown location, which still has not been found to this day. I, I still don't get that. Like,
1: did they put it somewhere or hide it? Did they keep it? Like, it just seems
0: unnecessary. Yeah, again, th- this is why this case is so crazy to me, because our options are, OK, this is a crazy serial killer and they kept that as a trophy. That doesn't seem logical. OK, the, someone hit it. But why are you hiding it? Like, you know, what normal person living in this neighborhood who they might know, like could have bullets traced back to them? None of it makes any sense. The only other thing that we know or assume is that at the time of the murder, they, whoever they are or he or whoever this perpetrator is, had access to a boat, which was likely already docked at the lake, according to police. So I think they're thinking it's someone that they know, too. The FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit provided a very broad description of the culprit, indicating that he was likely a male due to the physical strength that would have taken to carry out this crime single handedly Mm -hmm. and was someone who liked guns and knives. But unfortunately, in central Georgia, these traits would describe a lot of people. So figuring out who exactly was behind this just based on that is going to be an incredibly difficult task for the investigative agencies. Now, local police continue to operate under the assumption that the killer was someone that knew Russell and Shirley and who was likely familiar with the layout of their home. So I think they know something more that we don't know because they say that the boat was likely docked at the lake because they say they had to be familiar with their home. But I don't know what it is that makes them say that because they haven't released that to us. And police don't believe that this person or persons lived in the area at the time of the crime because they say there's no way that someone this brutal and gruesome would be able to hide their true selves in an area where violent crime like this is nearly unheard of. The identity of the killer remains unknown, but investigators remain hopeful that they or potential accomplices will trip up in the near future. Then and only then will they expose themselves, and the families of Shirley and Russell Derman will finally get justice. If you want to see pictures from this case, or you'd like to take a look at the sources our team used for this episode so you can dive even deeper into the case, you can do that at our website, CrimeJunkiePodcast.com, and there's also a direct link to the blog post in your show notes.
1: I hate to be the one to say it, but we actually will not be back next week with a new crime episode.
0: Yeah, next week is Labor Day, and we plan to take some time off with our families. But there's always good news. If you are dying for an extra true crime fix, we never take off in our fan club. And next week, there will be a brand new episode dropping if you just need to hear us next week.
1: Yep, so we will be back after the holidays.
0: Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Stores' high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, everyone. Ashley Flowers here. And if you can't get enough true crime, I've got just the thing for you. I've curated the first-ever 24-7 true crime channel on SiriusXM. It's called Crime Junkie Radio, and it is the ultimate destination for all things true crime, including over six years of Crime Junkie episodes and other AudioChuck shows. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to right now, you'll love this channel. Download the SiriusXM app to listen to Crime Junkie Radio today.